right, I'm going to ask everybody to turn in their copy of God's Word to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews chapter 3. We're going to be looking there today as we spend time in God's Word. And if you were looking for that in the Bible that's on the, uh, in your pews, that is going to be on page 1062. 1062 is where you'll find that. Last week we began chapter 3 of the book of Hebrews, and today we will continue and, and complete our, our look at that chapter, but we need to understand that when we pick up a chapter of the Bible, um, those chapters, how they're divided with the numbers and the, and the big number and the small numbers, the one at the beginning and the one at the end, those were put in there way later, and that this is a part of a letter as a whole, a letter as a whole. You know what happens whenever you just take uh, one line of a letter that someone was was writing to you and you take it and try to make its own context, its own idea off of it outside of the rest of the letter, right? What happens? You misuse the text. You misuse the quote. You misuse the line. And and sometimes we, we understand people should not say certain things. Like we, we do this in, in, in media today. We'll take a, a small line of text and out of the whole scenario, and sometimes blow it out of proportion, regardless of which side of an aisle people may be on, regardless of what their background or social status or vocation, we can sometimes take a line and, and, and misuse it and twist it in our own way. But today we're looking at chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at some rather difficult, hard-to-hear text. But the point is, it's hard to hear because it makes us stop and listen and say, oh, wait a minute, what did that say? Did, did I hear that correctly? And where is that in relation to the rest of this letter? The rest of this letter is focused on this, this premise, this, this uh, focus that Jesus is indeed who He says He is. And because of that, He is better than any one who walked before Him, any who would come after Him. He is worthy of worship. He is worthy of obedience. He's worthy of our trust and our faith. He's worthy to listen to because He is the perfect One, the eternal One, the excellent One. And no matter who you compare Jesus to, He will far outweigh them. Because when you look at Jesus, you're not merely looking at a man. Though He was fully man, He was also fully God. And though He was fully God, He is fully man. And so as such, His Word is to be heeded. It is to be considered. It is to be weighed, examined, found fruitful, and followed. So with that in mind, that seems like a lot. Let's stand and honor God in the reading of His Word. And may we also be listeners and hearers of it. This is chapter 3, verse 7 and following. The Word of the Lord. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers tested Me, tried Me, and saw My works for forty years. Therefore, I was provoked to anger with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts and they have not known my ways. 
So I swore in my anger, they will not enter my rest. Watch out, brothers and sisters, so that there won't be any of you, be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage each other daily while it is still called today, so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. For we have become participants in Christ if we hold firmly until the end the reality that we had at the start. As it is said today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who heard and rebelled? Wasn't it all who came out of Egypt under Moses? With whom was God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it those who sinned? Wasn't that with those who sinned whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did He swear that they would not enter His rest? if not to those who disobeyed. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Let us pray. Lord God, today as we uh, have heard Your Word proclaimed, I pray that we would have it seared upon our hearts, not merely enter our ears and, and go a different place. Lord, may it, have, may it be as effective as You promised it would be effective. We know that when you say your word goes out, it will not return void. And we are holding on to those promises today in faith that you would use them as you see fit and that we would all learn from you because this is your holy word that was given by your Holy Spirit so that you may make men holy. Help us, Lord, to be holy followers of you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So as I said, this is a difficult text. It's not an easy text whenever you read it. Sometimes you can pull out a line and shake your head and think, I need to go back and read that again. But that's why it's important for us when we when we spend time in God's Word to to answer the questions that it naturally presents to us. The Word of God presents these questions of, of, first of all, what does it say? Are we listening to what it actually says? Or are we trying to already come up with our own ideas about God and supplant God's Word and say, I'd rather have my ideas rather than what the Word says? Secondly, not only what it says, but what is the meaning? Obviously, the Bible here, the writer here, is is talking about something that happened long ago and using that as a lesson. So I can't just take away that lesson and pretend it's not there. I have to go back and see what it means so I can know what this means. Then I need to know, how does it apply? This is what it means, this is what God was saying. But when I look at my life, I can say, this is the significant application of it. I'm not changing the meaning. I see where I need to trust more. I see where I need to follow more. I see where I need to listen more. I see where I need to surrender and repent more than I have. And the last question is, will I really trust what God is saying? Because we could be those that hear with our ears and yet turn away. Be deceived and walk away. It is possible for that to absolutely occur. That's why the Bible gives such a warning. If it wasn't possible, those warnings would be needless. If it was just the Word of the Lord is proclaimed, there's a revival, everyone responds, no one ever turns away, there would never need to be a warning. The reason the warning is there is because it's possible. Think about it. 
That's why there are all these warnings that are out there, and some of them as ridiculous as they are. A few weeks ago, we were talking about these warnings in our connection group. You know, the, the one that says, do not iron this, the, your outfit while wearing it. Why is that warning there? Because it's possible that someone has done that. Why is there a warning on a bag of peanuts on an airplane that says, caution, contains nuts? Because it's possible for someone to see this bag labeled peanuts and not recognize these are nuts. And that's nuts. It's crazy that this is the scenario. So the Bible paints this picture, and, and it's one that is disconcerting. It is one that is difficult to swallow. But nevertheless, it is true. And we need to see how it is impactful to us. And when the book of Hebrews is written, it's telling us there's, there's some things that you need to evaluate. There's some, there's some exhortation that you need to consider. There's some examination of your lives. There's an expectation that God has and God has placed before us. And there is a Jesus who's to be exalted. So, in this text, he's talking about a day long ago. Ancestors, your fathers, those who went before you. Now what you need to understand is this is a letter to the Hebrew people who had a knowledge and understanding of their history. They understood what they came from. They understood what had been overcome. They understood what God had provided for them in many, many ways. But here's the thing about history. History is facts. And sometimes those facts are things that you enjoy remembering. And sometimes there's things you don't. Even in our own American history, there are things that we look back on and say, we could say and just write it off as, well, that was the culture back then. There's parts we look back and say, I wish that wasn't there. Maybe in your own history, as factual as it is, and, and as moments of uplifting as they are, there's still the facts of things you say, hmm, I wish I didn't have to remember that. That's unpleasant. I don't like it being brought up. But yet, in that moment, you also understand those, those dark moments. There are lessons that are gleaned, sometimes far weightier than the good times of our life. So the writer here, he points back to this rest that God was promising. A rest that had been fallen from the days of creation and when in in the days of creation, there was this perfect place. There was no sin. And when sin into the world, that rest was highly disturbed. Man and woman were kicked out of that perfect place and did not have rest, security with God. But God established a people for Himself out of the descendant of one man, Abraham, came many. And in the course of their history, they ended up down in Egypt and were enslaved for 400 years. The book of Exodus talks about that enslavement and, and what happened in that time. And yet God did not forget them. God was not absent from them. And that's a very potent thing for us to remember, by the way. Sometimes when we pray, we say, God, don't you see me? Can't you see what's going on? When God is saying, yes, of course I see what's going on. It's in prayer that I'm asking you to see me that I was there all along. I'm there with you. 
And He remembers His people, Israel, and He delivers them through the, through the work and the hands of Moses. God's presence is with Moses in a powerful, powerful way. There's all those miracles that we celebrate and, and they are delivered out on Passover. And then they spend the time going through the desert to Mount Sinai all to see that incredible manifestation on the way and whenever they're there. And from that day on until they come to the promised land of God's cloud, pillar of cloud by day, His pillar of fire by night, His manna poured out six days out of seven every day. A visible manifestation of God's promises, His deliverances. He even gives them a, a way for them to walk in fellowship with Him them in, in, a, in a good and holy way. He tells them, I am going to bring you into that land. I had promised your, far, your forefather, Abraham, that he would inhabit it all. But there's something, scenario, there's something sinister that happens in the middle of that. In the middle of all that's good, when you get to Numbers chapter 13 and 14, there's been some skirmishes with the Lord. There's been some grumbling with the Lord that has happened among the people. But the utter smack in the face saying, we've seen everything God has done, and yet on this we will not believe. It is the utterest declaration of, I have tasted and seen what God has provided, and yet choose to walk away. This is what happens in Numbers 13. God tells the people to send out 12 men, one from each tribe, to go into the land to show and say it is a good, a fruitful land. A land that, as you've heard in the Old Testament say, flowing with milk and honey. It's, it's a land of prosperity and promise. And there I will establish you as a people. There I will establish you as a, as a people that will be a light for the nations. And I will deliver the, this land into your hands. And I will move away the enemies who would seek to destroy you. I will be with you. And they go into the land, and indeed they see it's so immensely fruitful, as if God's promises up until that point were not good enough. The visible, tangible presence of the Lord. And yet they come back, and they're having to carry a cluster of grapes on a beam. It's so heavy. To say how fruitful the land is. But 10 out of the 12 says, yes, the land is fruitful. But the people will devour us. There are too many. They live in two fortified of cities. We, in stature, are like grasshoppers in their sight. And they're experienced in war. We're only slaves. All we've ever been good at is making brick. And they stir up the people. Only two say they will be faithful to follow God's promise to deliver and give the people rest. And instead of receiving the rest God promised, the people live in a state of rebellion for 40 years. Everyone of adult age, so everyone 18 or 20 and up, in that generation perishes in the desert. And their children will receive the promise that God had provided. And so there's this testament of utter failure when everything could be so good and yet still walk away. So that's a lesson for us, by the way. Some of us want God just to wipe away every difficulty, make everything better, make everything prosperous. And if you do that, I know I'll have hope. I know I can trust you and I'll follow you. That is a lie. 
If we think that we are beyond that foolish disguise that is placed there, that if God will just provide everything good, we'll be faithful. Because it's possible for everything to be good and us to be just as rebellious. That's this plight of the people. And here the writer of, of, of Hebrews who is writing to a people who are thinking, well, Jesus is, is better. We believe that. But Jesus is costly. So I have to covertly go back to my old way of life. He's saying, you are right here with this promise, not only of rest and, and restoration in your life now with God, but a future rest. And, and what you're doing is you have experienced the goodness and glory of God in this moment, and yet you're still thinking of walking away. How is this not different? How is it not And so he pleads with them urgently about obedience. Instead of living in this place of rebellion, to live in this place of rest. And he quotes this psalm. We call it the 95th psalm. If you want to ever turn there, you're more than welcome to. Uh, You know, those Bibles, they're, they're good for you. If you want to take them and you need one, it's yours. But that psalm is beautiful. In fact, we love the pleasantry of the first part. The, the, the writer of Hebrews quotes the second part, but here's the pleasantry of the first part. Come, let us shout joyfully to the Lord. Shout triumphantly to the rock of our salvation. Let us enter His presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout triumphantly to Him in song. For the Lord is a great God, a great King above all gods. The depths of the earth are in His hands. The mountain peaks are His. The sea is His. He made it. His hands formed the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is God. He is our God. And we are the people of His pasture, the sheep under His care. Today, if you hear His voice, Do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day of Massah in the wilderness where your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years I was disgusted with that generation. I said they are people whose heart go astray. They do not know my ways. So I swore in my anger they will not enter my rest. It's extraordinary when you read that psalm because you think, wow, what a victoriously powerful, potent song of praise. It it is awesome. And it's declaring exactly what we're to be. And yet, there's the possibility that we won't. How could that be? And thus the writer of Hebrews, he brings this point of history so that he would exhort, he would spur them, he would encourage them strongly, firmly, with urgency, with the crazy eyes and the firm voice. This is why you don't need to do this. This is why you don't need to do this. Because you may not understand the ramifications of what you're doing. Man, that is the part of my story. I shared this morning in our connection group. We asked, what are some rebellious points in your childhood that you remember? And and why did you do it? Why did I do it? One... Because sin actually appeared appealing. And two, I thought I was the exception. 
I'm not going to hurt anybody. This is not going to hurt me. Why not test? Because surely God won't hold me to account. I mean, I prayed a prayer. I attended this church. My grandparents were leaders. Surely God won't punish me. And if He does, it'll just be kind of a slap on the wrist and try to do better next time. Instead of taking serious, this is the holy living God. And if I would be fearful in my job of a boss that could take that away and hold me account for the work I do, or I could be fearful of, of someone from the law or a judge placing my life in their hands and taking away every freedom and right that I have because of my negligence or my disobedience to the law. If those are frightening to me and worrisome to me and, and reason enough why I would not do those things, then why in the world would I try to treat God as lesser than those? Because I thought I was the exception. Here the writer goes back to that ebb and flow of exhortation. Exhortation is encouragement without the fluffy stuff. Sometimes we need that, right? Don't give me all the flattery. Don't give me all that. Show me where I'm wrong. And help me get right. Some people don't even know they're wrong. I'm guessing the writer here to the listeners, they didn't know they were wrong. And that's why he carefully, lovingly, powerfully shares this. He says, beware of drifting. And they say, where is that in the text? That was in chapter 2. He says, pay attention to the Lord. And don't drift away from such a great salvation. We must pay attention all the more to what we've heard so we will not drift away. For how we escape if we neglect such a great salvation. He's already told them about the potential from just slowly diminishing and drifting away. The second thing he warns us is is the danger. He says, first of all, the danger is you're not listening to what the Holy Spirit says. Don't just take this as a book that it was passed down by generations of men to men. The writer gets it absolutely right. The Holy Spirit gave the Word of God. So when he's quoting the psalm, he says the Holy Spirit says this. He's right. Because it is the inspired, infallible, inerrant, illuminating Word of God. And when we say, I don't want to hear it, I don't want to see it, we're saying, plug my ears, turn off the lights, and let me be blind. And whatever will be, will be. Because I choose to go the dangerous way instead of the deliverer's way. I choose not to hear His voice. There's a solid reason that we call the Bible the Word of God. Because it has its source in God Himself. And also because it is His way of bringing people to faith. That the Word of God must be preached in order for someone to respond in faith. That's what Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says. It says that faith, it comes by hearing and that hearing by the Word of Christ. I heard an interesting pastor this week. He was talking about this text. Uh, and I wasn't preaching on Romans 10, but he's talking about this. And he says, you know, why is it that God would not use some other means? I, I don't know what to tell you, but apparently in the rule book, it's just not allowed. 
Even in the book of Acts chapter 10, we see a man visited by an angel who tells him he needs to go find Peter so the word may be preached to him. The angel was there. He could have said you need to repent. You need to believe. Here's the ABCs of the gospel. He could have done it all, laid it out. But that is not the way God chose to work. He chooses to use His church as the instruments for communicating His powerful word so that people may hear what the Holy Spirit says. And there is a danger when we do not listen. He says to beware of doubting. He says, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers tested me, tried me, saw my works. They saw His works. Don't let that part slip away. You may say, well, it kind of seems unfair that God would do that, that God would punish this people. They've only seen God's miraculous work day by day, seven days a week, 24-7, and yet still choose to deny. That's the danger. That's the doubting. Seeing the evidence of God at work. We have been given a special privilege because we not only get to see the evidence of God's hand in creation, the Bible tells us that that's, that's the common grace God has given to all man. That the sun shines on the, on the good and the evil and, and, and the, it rains on the unrighteous and righteous. Part of the Sermon on the Mount. It tells us that because of God's created order, the evidence of Him is seen. And not only are we given that special privilege, we have a special privilege because we have the Word of the Lord before our eyes. Able to have access to it. And yet sometimes we deny. We doubt. We live in danger. He tells them to beware of disbelieving. He says, watch out, brothers and sisters, so there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. You may have witnessed this before. It may even be a part of your own testimony. But seeing people that seem to have a miraculous grace demonstrated upon them, that God makes Himself known to them in, in awesome ways. And they're passionate about the Lord, or it seems so. But one quick, unfortunate series of events, and all of a sudden, people are running away. We call that apostasy. And that series of events may be quick, it may be long-spanned. But what it says is, in them, they had a heart that experienced God, but they did not have a heart that believed in God. It was not true faith. There is a danger. The Bible calls that evil. You see, the comparison here is that Israel in that time had every right and reason to believe in God. Every experience pointed to His existence, His promises, His presence, His power. And yet they decided to go a different way. The incredible part is the unbelief. And yet it is possible and it is dangerous. He says to beware of deceitfulness. He says we're to encourage each other daily while it is still called today so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. 
I heard it said one time that sin is truly, truly deceitful. And it was put in this clever little way of remembering it. Sin will always take you further than you ever intended to go and keep you longer than you ever intended to stay. It's hardening. Because we think we're the exception. It doesn't apply. And we're to be in times like this when we're gathered in discipleship groups or connection groups or at lunch tables or in our homes, wherever we may be, to encourage each other daily while it is still called today, not to wait around. I laughed a little bit. I had fun with one of our guys in our connection group last week. We're talking about procrastination. He says, you know, I choose to procrastinate because by the time I get around to resolving the issue, I'll be a little older and wiser to handle it. I was like, that seems like wise words, but I also know really, and he knows, how much folly is in that. Because it's easy to put off tomorrow, but we'll also put off tomorrow. And we say, I'll do this another day. And the writer says, don't, don't do that. Don't wait another day. Listen today. Encourage one another today. Be responsible for one another today. See the urgency of your mission today. He tells us to beware of departing. He says, watch out, brothers and sisters, so there won't be in any of you an evil and unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. That this deceitfulness, this disbelief, it leads to departing. And to be cautious of that. To just think that, yeah, I heard it, and I'll just walk away. You do not know the potential for what you're sowing into your life. And I'm not saying that to scare you. I'm not showing scare tactics today. This is just the Word of the Lord that we must take seriously. It disturbs me. But it is there. And we must not deny it. To deny it is to reject and say, I do not believe what God has said to believe. And that leads to destruction. That if this was the case of those who always go astray in their hearts and who have not known the ways of the Lord. In other words, they did not walk with the Lord. Their life sowed destruction. But God does provide deliverance. And I'll quickly move towards this. The exhortation is that you don't have to be The exhortation is that there is an escape. There is deliverance. And it is the path of rest. The path of rescue from a redeeming, living God. And that redeeming God is Jesus. This is why He is better. That He is the one that has spoken. And we are to listen to Him. He is the one that has given us His Word. And as the Romans 15.4 says, for whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction so that we may have hope through endurance and through the encouragement from the Scriptures. It says in 1 Corinthians 10.6, Now these things took place as examples for us so that we will not desire evil things as they did. So what does the Bible say is this way of endurance, this way of escape, this way of God's redemptive goodness to us? The first is when God gives us these pictures, these illustrations, listen to them. 
Do not whitewash them and pretend they are not there and say, I only want the sweet parts of the Bible. Kind of like we would do with Noah's Ark when we say, oh, it's just rainbows and animals on a boat. Not thinking about the sinful destruction of the world. That God was pouring out His wrath for rebellious sinners. Look at the illustrations and listen and learn from them. Listen to the inspiration that's there. Recognize where this came from. It was written for our instruction. It was written so that we would have hope. It was written so that we would have endurance and encouragement from the Scripture. That it's meant to be a place that shows us, God, you breathe this out and it's good for my soul. Because in knowing it, I know you and you save my soul. Only you can. Do not let my heart be hardened to your God-breathed out, God-inspired Word. We are to listen to the invitation the writer is saying there is still time. We'll get later on in the book of Hebrews and say there's not time for some of these folks that, that have experienced it and they've walked away and now they're so hardened they will never return again. But for you who are listening right now, for you that are weighing the cost, will I stick with Jesus? Will I trust Jesus in the first place? Will I turn away when things get hard? He's inviting you to see Jesus who is far more superior than those of angels, who is worthy of more glory than Moses, who is the inheritor of all things, the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things by His powerful Word, the one who has been given the title of Son, this Jesus who is the faithful High Priest, the Apostle that was sent to us, He is inviting us And that invitation comes with the instruction to hear the Gospel. The Bible is pointing directly at the good news of the Gospel that says this Jesus is a holy God who sets the full standard. His righteousness is not going to be questioned because He is completely righteous. And the offense of our sin is utterly sinful before His eyes. But being the gracious and good, complete, holy God that He is, He says, I sinned Myself. I sent Jesus to be that high priest, to be that mediator, but also to be that Lamb that laid down His life for you in your place. And without that payment, the rebellion is still there. There is no rest. But to all who received Him, the Bible says He gave them the right to be called children of God. To those who believe in His name. And with that comes this heavenly share. Our our right to be welcomed into heaven is open. Last week we talked about having the right credentials. And that there is no resume that we can achieve, no, no earning status that we can get to that can save us, that would ever give us the credentials for heaven. And yet Jesus graciously does it. He saw the urgency of our need, the urgency of our fallenness, and our waywardness and our rebellion. And He came to give us rest. A rest that invites us to that place we look forward to that one day. But a rest that also transforms our life in the here and now. He tells us to listen to the instruction of the Gospel. To trust and follow the living God, to follow Jesus. But he also asks us to listen to the issue. The issue for the writer of Hebrews is there were brothers and sisters who were struggling terribly. And he saw the urgency 
of encouraging them and that community that's meant to grow by faith. But he also saw that urgency is something that impacts the here, so it impacts the there. That whenever they are assembled and and faithful to encouraging each other while it is still called today, is so that in the rest of their days they would make an impact beyond. We need to see the issue that we are to be here to encourage one another in that same way. Because it makes a difference in one another's lives, but it also prepares us to really go and visit a lost world where there are plenty of people in need of Jesus. They may not think they need Jesus. You may have been one person at one time who thought, I don't really need Jesus. I'm the exception. But there are plenty of people. There is no reason that we could not grow our family and tell them about the goodness of God. There's over 400,000 people in Genesee County. The fields are white. And the issue of our urgency of obedience is going to impact our mission. It's going to impact our worship. It's going to impact our growth. So let us encourage one another to be faithful to the Lord and to be faithful as His servants. To be ambassadors that carry His name. To be children that bear His image well. Not because we're good enough or smart enough, but because this is what Jesus has done for us. And His grace, His goodness, His glory is too great for us to overlook. And if we do, we will not find rest. Let's pray. Lord God, today I don't know what you want to do with this time that we've preached your word and spent time looking at what it says. But I pray that for those that heard your voice today, that there would not be a hardening, there would be a softening, that you would give those that need a new heart a new heart, that you would save those that need to be saved, that those that need to come to faith in you would come to faith and trust you. For the hearts in this room that need to be restored with you, they may be brothers and sisters, but they need restoration. Do what only you can. Not because someone preached hard, but because you, God, are convicting through your word and that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. Please, Lord, do what only you can this time and help us to be obedient people who listen, trust, and obey. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, I'm going to ask you to keep your heads bowed, your eyes closed. And I, I, I don't want you looking around because, not because I'm trying to do anything sneaky, but I just want you to really deal with the weightiness of where you are with God today. Based on what you've heard, based on what the Scripture says, where are you with God And then based on that, where do you need to be with God? Taking those two points alone, follow what God is telling you to do based on His Word.